What are you doing? I'm getting bad. You better get bad, Jack, because you ain't bad. You're going to get fucked. You're bad. They don't mess with you. <laughs> Life goes on. Freeze all normal functions. <laughs> okay, party people in the house. Man become preeminent. He's expected to have enthusiasm. You're going to have to repeat that. Enthusiasm. You be cool. You be cool. Enthusiasm. There's one thing I almost forgot. Do you have another minute? Oh, shit. These violent delights have violent ends. Hi, Michael Morgan, and welcome to the brand new series of The Wocast, kindly sponsored by Violent Money. Now, whilst Woe TV is 10 years old, The Wocast is now six years old, and I believe that with your support, I've got to where it is with a little help from hosts and co hosts. It's now time to take it to another level, starting with this episode. I'll be bringing you a weekly look at news, views and interviews. On this week's show, we introduce a new member of the team of the Woe TV gang, of the Woe TV squad. We know her as Gina. You will know her by her Twitter handle, G from State Farm. She'll be sounding off on a weekly basis and I know this week's topic that she's got lined up will get a few tongues wagging. I then call up Brendan Loftnane as he counts down the days to his UFC contenders matchup against Bill Algio. And on the show, I'll also be joined by the hardest working man in Woe TV, Scott Lagden, who'll be recapping this weekend's KSW action. Speaking of Europe's leading MMA promotion, we'll be joined by newly crowned KSW middleweight, Scott Askham. And finally, after signing with Bellator for violent money, I catch up with Nathan Grayson. First up, here's G from State Farm. For those who are uninitiated in the UK, I'm sure your US audience um, know exactly who you are. How would you break down your style? Because obviously your Twitter handle, G from State Farm, is, um, how can I put it, widely followed. A lot of people, though, um, would say that you're opinionated to the extent where, you know, your opinions aren't necessarily popular, but you're very passionate about that. I would say that I am loud, opinionated, and I trigger a whole lot of people and I curse like a sailor. So I think I'm a lot of fun. (laughs) I would tend to I tend to agree with you there. So it's a real pleasure to welcome you, not just to the Wocast, but as part of the team. And um, I suppose, you know, without further ado, let's just crack on with what exactly you're bringing to the table this week in terms of opinion. So what are we going to be speaking about? Well, I want to talk about um, what triggered me last UFC event, which was uh, UFC 237, Thug Rose against uh, Andrade. And it really pissed me off that there was just such an uproar about the slam. You know what I mean? Like, I I couldn't take enough of it, and I went off on Twitter, and I cursed out a whole bunch of people. So it was driving me crazy. So I'm glad we get to talk about it. So in terms of what people are saying, um, I get the distinct feeling that when it comes to women and women's combat issues, regardless whether it's submissions, regardless whether it's strikes, or in this case, slams, there is a certain misogynistic uh, trait to the response that people have particularly for males right absolutely i just saw a level of concern 
that I've never fucking seen before in my life. And I was appalled. Like, since when are men upset that women who chose to fight in the UFC are getting knocked unconscious? I'm, I'm just like, what's the uproar? I didn't see it with uh, Ben Askren and uh, Robbie Lawler. Not one person complained about him getting dumped on his head. In fact, they want a rematch. But, you know, Jessica does it in perfect form and fashion to her competitor. And it's a problem. Why? I think because they have vaginas. That's my personal view. I think it's just a <laughs> vagina problem. You know, I think it's, you know, suddenly you have a vagina. You can't get slapped on your head, even though you chose to be a martial artist and get paid to do this. Makes no sense. You might have a point there, because I don't know if you remember. I'm sure you do. When Galore Bafando actually did exactly the same to Charlie Ward, he dumped him on his head. And there was widespread intake of breath but it was more admiration than abhoration absolutely and i also remember in pride when you know rampage has dumped a couple of people on their heads and it was just like a glorious event and then it just suddenly now i think it's a totally different tone when it's two women and what makes me so mad is where is this outcry when we don't get equal pay or when you know somebody gets trapped in an office at work by their sleazy boss it's you know no we need to hear both sides of the story no let these women be savages and fight that's what they signed up for like we don't we don't need you to you know have our backs now these are professional martial artists and and then on top of it they were wrong when somebody is 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 trying to get out of a submission you can slam them any which way you can those are the rules because you're trying to get out of submission so what's the problem like, get out of here what i was I, I lost it on my twitter page i was just battling the misogynist but of course you know with me once i do that you know shit goes to hell and it just becomes <laughs> you know <laughs> it becomes a, a, quite a storm but i think there's a lot of few people out there that feel the same way that that i do where was this uproar when men do it and then suddenly you know two women battle it out and it's a problem and thug rose hasn't even complained about this you know you know what i i've got some bad news for you I personally don't feel that this is going to be the first time we see a slam and it's not going to be the first time we hear of an uproar because it's a woman. When you think about it, let's just remember, let's just recall, I, I don't feel I need to tell you this, but you know yourself that it took the UFC a long while, Dana White in particular, to acknowledge the fact that, look, you know, women can do it too. It took him a while to actually warm to uh, Ronda oh, Rousey. And if you think about it, why wouldn't the fans be exactly the same? You mean, why wouldn't the fans walk back on women being in the in UFC or just kind of walking back on what they want from women? Well, well what do you mean? why wouldn't the fans be as slow to warm to women competitors, particularly when they are in those uh, precarious positions, if all the while... In the run-up to women joining the UFC, there was this almost resistant attitude from Dana White as the promoter. Think about how a promoter acts and how a promoter actually um, trickles down the values of the company. It actually resonates or it actually affects the fans and their thinking if that is the stance of the company, don't you think? I agree with you on that. I do think the promoter does affect the fans and the company, but let's just not act like this happened yesterday. Rhonda been knocked down those doors. Yeah. It seems like most of us are on board, except for maybe Khabib and them and the people in Dagestan that don't care for women to really do anything. Um, but it just seems like everybody's on board with, with um, women's MMA and martial arts. In fact, this isn't the 
knockout slam in strike force roxanne matafori i'm messing up her name please forgive me but roxanne she Mata-Fari. was slammed there you go she was slammed by sarah um kaufman i was watching live in my living room i'll never forget i, I thought it was awesome no uproar so it makes you wonder does it also have to do with popularity looks and not just people having a vagina it's just i just think it's pure misogyny because we've gotten over the fact that women now can fight but now they need to fight in a certain way and it's annoying you know they didn't pick two people from the crowd to fight and now you're upset that somebody got slammed you took two professional women martial artists that have been they're one of the one of which is very popular one is which is very popular in brazil and now there's an upwork because one got slammed and i'm like women have been doing this for a while and the fans are on board including dana white so it was a little offensive to see the uproar but not for ben Askren and all the other men that have been dumped on their heads you know <laughs> i don't want to leave this conversation without a take from you in terms of a solution or a possible way forward. I don't think you're actually going to solve uh, this issue, but you may have a few suggestions which you want to actually leave out there, which you know hopefully will spark some kind of dialogue, debate, discussion. I don't, I don't know if there's really like a solution to misogyny in the UFC, but I just think continued support and then continued outrage over just let women professional fighters be just that, just like you let the men, just let them fight. I mean, it's really cute that men just kind of are like, oh my gosh, she got dumped on her head, but kind of just respect the fact that they're MMA you know, artists, they're professionals. They, you know, these women can kick my ass, your ass, everyone's ass here. So let's just like respect that the same way we respect men. And I say we continue to support women's martial, you know, mixed martial arts in every aspect. There's nothing really you can do. You know, people are going to bitch and moan about anything, you know. (laughs) Gina, that puts a really nice bow on what is going to be the first of many segments from yourself again welcome to the team it's such a pleasure to have you well thank you for having me and i I cannot wait to visit the uk i'm quite a traveler as well and you guys are on my list after his stint on the ultimate fighter and then going into the wilderness of european promotions brendan lofnane is about to re-enter the ufc fold and uh he's going to be doing this via the contender series against bill algio about time we're having this conversation isn't it Mike you know there must have been a time considering how long you've actually been soldiering on how long you've been working the circuit how long basically you've been waiting for your time considering how long you've been in the game and considering your record there must have been a time where you thought you know what nah this ain't for me um yes and no I mean I've not really got one answer quitting me as you can see from my MMA career and as you can see from me persevering the six years took me six years to uh, to get back to where I wanted to be. Plenty of offers on the table, plenty of big money rubbed under my nose, but I stuck to what I wanted and um, I went out and got it. And I'm not 100% there uh, yet. I've still got to go and get this contract, but I feel like I've already got it. And uh, this is my first fight in the UFC. You know, along the way, you obviously had some offers, as you just alluded to. Um, I wouldn't yeah. mind just kind of, you know how I am. I'm kind of like nosy, kind of like the cook that likes to stir the pot. But um, obviously, one of the long-going and long ongoing feuds online was between you and Paddy Pimblett. How close was that actually? Um, how close was that to being done? You and Pimblett on Cage Warriors. Wow, you're that, you're the first person to mention Pimblett in a long time. I don't even know anymore what's going on with that. It used to be every conversation, but 
thank God that his name's finally gone away from mine. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Graham was never ever in a million years going to let that fight happen. Um, and fair play to him. I mean, he's been beat by lesser opponents now than I than I would have done to him anyway. So that ship sailed. Um, I'm onto this now, and um, good luck to Paddy. So all the toing and froing, all the backwards and forwards, there was never anything which is even close, even by a smidgen, to being signed. Um, mate, the the thing was with that fight there, right? I was willing to go to the Echo. I wanted to go to the Echo. I thought it would have been a great day. People probably would have died in the crowd. It would have been a great. <laughs> it would have been a great fight. Uh, that Manchester Liverpool thing. Everything was 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 set for that fight and. Mike, I'm about to go and fight in the UFC against top-level opposition. I fought top-level opposition my whole career for them out there that think that I was scared of Paddy Pimlet and then come on, mate. And uh, Graham telling everyone I'm scared and this and that. It's, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Uh, I wanted more than anyone for that fight to happen, but it never surfaced. Good luck to Paddy and uh, I'm off to do other things. I mean, speaking of other things, the matchup, I have to say... There are very few fighters I can say this to, and uh, I know it will be taken in the way that you know that I mean it. But man, that's a tough matchup, man. Uh, I mean, it isn't. It isn't. I mean, I've, I've watched Bill, and like I say, this is. I'm looking at this is my first fight in the UFC. I mean, I look at guys on that contender series. Some of them are two and zero, one and zero, three and zero. Like we're both very experienced. Me and Bill, he's he's a featherweight champion, a big organization in uh, in the USA. But I'm having, I just feel like it's my time now. Uh, I've, I've done all the circuit for all the best guys, two different weeks. Uh, been to people's back gardens before, done done what I have to do now. Now I feel like uh, my time's come round. Um, this is the best shape I've ever been in. Sparring's going better than ever. I just feel in great shape. And I think at 145, I'm a totally different beast. And um, I'm just looking forward to putting a show on against Bill. Like, I've fought tough guys and... He's just up there with another name. I mean, 12 and 3, good record on a 4 or 5 fight win streak, knocking people out. But guess what? So I, so have I. And uh, I just think at 145, I'm a totally different animal. Like, any of my losses have mostly come at 55 on split decisions because I just didn't have the power to knock them out. And my, my finish ratio at, at, at Featherweight is damn near 100%. So someone's got a bed, mate, and it won't be me. <laughs> so I take it, you know, the plan obviously is to go in there and take him out. You've obviously been looking at tape, or is it Tony who's been examining this guy's form? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's Thai, he comes from a Thai background. I just think I'm a lot quicker than him, I'm a lot sharper. Um, but don't get me wrong, the guys trained at Alliance before, they all know him. They said that, you know, he's a really good fighter. So I'm not expecting an easy fight, but I'm never expecting an easy fight. But I will say this is the best I've ever felt and the sharpest I've ever felt. I know it sounds cliche, but it actually is. And uh, I feel like everything else in my life's kind of fell into place for this opportunity and uh, I won't let it go this time, trust me. You know, in the lead up to this, um, you know, just skipping backwards and forward, but one thing just occurred to me in the lead up to this, you basically were almost a gun for hire. Wasn't it sort of like tempting given, you know, all the signing sprees that Bellator actually went on? You took a fight with um, Celtic Gladiator. You also, you know, were obviously a mainstay, well, here and there at ACB. What was it about the Bellator offer that made you think, you know what, nah, this ain't for me, considering what I've been hearing, that they're signing guys for violent money? No, listen, Bellator was a great offer. And respect to Jude and everyone there for putting that offer in. Uh, 
but I've just had my heart set on this UFC and I've, I've worked six years towards a goal and people putting money under my nose and yes, it was tempting, but I just knew what my end goal was and where I wanted to be and uh, I took the risk and it paid off, Mike, and uh, I'm just very thankful that it did. So how much a role was it, obviously your skill played in this and how much of it was actually Dominic? Dominic Cruz, obviously, is, is somewhat of a, of a mentor to you at the moment. How much of it was him actually leveraging his contacts as well? I reckon it was 50-50. There was opportunities that came in before this fight for, like, short notice, 155 fights. But I was walking around at, like, 150. I was like, nah, it's in the fight for me. Uh, and we waited out. We waited out. They give us a contender. They give me a featherweight fight. They give me a 10-week camp. I can't ask anything more. There's your chance to shine, and uh, that's it. I won't, I won't let it pass. Not a chance. No way am I waiting six years and letting someone beat me. No way. You know what? It just um, makes me think back to the first time that I met you. You were kind of hungry, and I'm not sure if you remember, but um, it was actually John Joe O'Regan who introduced us. Do you remember that? Where was it? This was in the hospital where... Basically, it was Alexander Gustafsson who was giving out um, presents to the children in hospital. Wow, that was years ago. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the things that I, I remember at the time was you actually talking about like the journey that you'd actually gone through. When you look back on that journey, when you look back on what you had to go through now, do you think much has actually changed in terms of the landscape that you were talking about then as opposed to now? I mean, is it as hard for a fighter in the UK as it was way back then? MMA is absolutely booming right now. You've got Bellator, you've got 1FC, you've got PFL, you've got all these other organisations paying out top dollar. And it's a great time to be an MMA fighter. Back then, you arrived in the UFC, or you weren't nowhere. Bellator weren't even about then in the beginning, really. Now they're all about, they've all made massive surges in Europe. And, um, mate, it's a great time to be a fighter, but it's also the hardest time to be a fighter. As the money goes up, the competition goes up. And uh, I'm no stranger to tough competition. I've been training at Alliance for sparring top five guys, Fred Waits, Jeremy Stevens, Miles Jory. So I know what it's going to be like in the UFC at that, at that level. That's uh, so why I'm absolutely training my ass off, and I have done for the last couple of years. And uh, trust me, this is my time now. And just one final point. Um... I'm kind of intrigued on your take on it. You call um, Manchester your home, right? Yep. So you've obviously seen the spate of stabbings up and down the country. It almost seems like on a daily basis we're hearing about, you know, young adults being stabbed. Is there anything actually happening in Manchester to kind of curb this? Because I know people like, well, gyms like All Powers have a very, what's the word? Um... Uh, nurturing mentality when it comes to taking people in and trying to ensure that they basically stay on straight and narrow. Are there any, any, any initiatives that All Powers is actually doing or any other gyms um, to that matter? It's pretty mad that you asked this question. I was actually thinking to myself about this last night, like the amount of kids that have actually come through my gym and, and changed things around. Is, I mean, there's a lot of people, trust me, and uh, the state of my crime is bad and it's not just the UK, it's the world. And uh, I mean, especially in London, and it's not as bad in Manchester as it is in London, but we still have a lot of crime here and things like that. And I know, I know I'm going to play a pivotal role once I can put my time to it fully after MMA is finished um, to really pushing this and pushing MMA on youngsters and just discipline. 
and just being able to be coached. If you can't be coached, good luck in later life when a boss wants to tell you what to do. So I just think that MMA, as it's growing as a sport, John Kavner seems to be doing quite a lot over there with things like that too. And there's, there's a few old school coaches now getting onto it, but I feel like I'll play a massive role in it in Manchester once uh, once this career is finished. It's a bit too busy while you're in the UFC and you're getting big fights and big money. Uh, I had to let the coaching go for a while. And um, like I say, once my time's over, that will be what my focus is on 100%, just changing people in Manchester and then putting them on the straight and narrow through MMA because I've seen it with my own eyes and it can be done. That's incredible that you say that. It's kind of also... Um... Well, it's inspiring to see people like Kane Musa, obviously a sparring partner of yours, actually doing big things with his batter brand, not just obviously for his own elevation, but for the elevation of young adults as well. Brendan, mate, I have to say a massive congrats again. I really do wish you all the best come June the 18th, right? 18th, Tuesday night, yep, yep. But you've got three weeks tomorrow, fly out to Vegas, and then the fight is in four, four and a half. I really do wish you all the best come June 18th, man. It's been a long time in coming and you definitely deserve the shot. I remember, again, putting out those lists of five people who should be in the UFC and your name was always on it for the last three years solid. And I'm glad that it's actually come to fruition once and God, for I've been, all. I've been on lists all over the world should be in the UFC. I'm just glad that we finally, they finally opened their eyes and they've... I'll be Dana White, I'll be sat a couple of inches from me and he'll get to see real talent and uh, I'll just lay it all on the line there as I always do and uh, I'll, my, my real experience and my hunger will come through in this fight. Joining me now is the hardest working man in WoW TV today, Scott Lagden. How you doing, Scott? Uh, hi, Mark. I'm great. Thanks, buddy. Nice to finally talk to you. Yeah, indeed. It's been a while. It's been a while. And I have to say, seriously, that um, hardest working man in Woe TV, Monica, seriously befits you. You have got some serious work rate. I thought, to be honest with you, considering um, I'm driving the vehicle, that I'd be the hardest working man. But you have smashed that mantle. Actually, you and John, but you in particular. So thank you for that. Oh, no problem for you. You're very welcome. Well, you know what? Let's just crack on with the order of business. You were on the ground in Poland this past weekend. What we're going to do is have a quick canter through the good, the bad and the ugly of KSW 49. So over to you. I mean, the floor is yours. Perfect. I'll say overall, the best thing about the event was, I think, just the quality of the fights. I mean, it really did have everything. I've put down, we had highlight reel finishes. We had big back and forth battles. We had uh, quite big upsets as well. I think the Damian Grabowski upset of um, uh, Carol Badorf was one that not many people saw coming. Um, so yeah, I thought the overall quality of the fights, I thought, had absolutely everything that um, MMA fans would want to enjoy. Um, and it also sets up quite a lot of interesting fights down the road as well. Would you agree? Well, I have to say, it does put together, in terms of compelling matchups, some incredible possibilities. When you think of the winning streak that Norman Park is now on, when you look at what when you look at what Scott Askham has done, an incredible performance, I have to say. What does intrigue me, um, I have to say, going back to Norman Park, is the fact that he's now on a two-fight winning streak, and we yeah. have the possibility, we have the distinct possibility with London around the corner. Basically, KSW. 50 is going to take place at Wembley Arena in September. We have 
the distinct possibility that we could be looking at the trilogy matchup between Norman Park and his arch nemesis. I mean, what do you think of that? Yeah, I've been saying quite a few. I've said them since the room match, actually, that a lot of people say, no, no, we've had enough of that. We've seen it. They've, they've settled the score. Well, personally, I've always thought the trilogy is there to be made. I've always really wanted to see it, personally. Um, I don't want to bring it down on the mood, though, but from some of the things I heard from people in Poland, I don't think that's going to be ready quite in time for London, unfortunately. Um, there was some rumours going around in the Polish media that apparently Gamrot's contract had um, expired and was up. Um, talking to a person backstage that I knew, I don't think that's quite true. But I heard that um, Gamrot's still got th- uh, three fights left on his contract, um, but he's stalling trying to get some more money out of the promotion. Um, so I think, unfortunately for Wembley, I don't think the trilogy is going to quite be ready for then. But um, I've heard that even though it's not the full title that Park could be going for in London, uh, I've heard there's quite a strong possibility of Park fighting Marian Zulikowski, the uh, man who just beat, beat Grashan Sadinsky at KSW 48. I've heard there's quite a strong possibility of Norman Park taking on Marian Zulikowski for the interim KSW lightweight title. So although it's, yeah, it's not the fight we all want to see with that big trilogy fight with Gamrot, but um, it's still quite intriguing about yeah, that we could have there and it gives Park the chance to uh, get... Uh, jump on the bandwagon and speak all over over here in the United Kingdom that claim his titles in KSW. So with an interim title being created, how is that going to be justified considering that there's no injuries, nobody is literally out of the picture? How is that going to be uh, floated in terms of an idea? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I'm, I'm really not quite sure. Um, I guess it's just going to be a case of they're going to try and... Uh, Kind of trying to bring Gamrot around. It could be maybe use a bit of a negotiation tool. They could say to Gamrot, "Look, we're going to bring in this uh, interim title if you if you can't make your mind up on what you want to do." That could be the way that they approach it with Gamrot to try and get him back on board. But um, yeah, in terms of justifying it, I'm not quite sure how they'd, how they'd be able to do that. But um, yeah, from one solid source I spoke to, that seems to be the plan um, going forward in London. In London, but I agree. Yeah, there's not a lot the promotion can really do to justify the interim title being brought in. But um, yeah, who knows what kind of spin they could put on it. Now, you've touched on, going back to KSW 49, you've touched on the good, but how about the bad? Yeah, so it, it was really, really hard to pick out a bad point, and um, I mean, there's one obvious ugly one which we'll come on to in a minute, but um, the only thing I could pick out for bad is the, um, was the Lewis Enrique against Michal Andrishak fight, where um, unfortunately, I know it's a, it's a tough job that not many people um, fancy doing it's a really really tough judgment calls made in spits of seconds but um, Leon Roberts did a bit of a mare to be honest he uh, Mihal Drishak uh, was in a front lock, headlock position um, Enrique was working for a, for a choke and um, Leon Roberts thought Andrishak went out unconscious when in reality he was just fighting submission he was trying to fight hands um, so yeah the, the, the uh, fight was brought to a close prematurely so I'd say everything I think the main thing that was bad out of the card action wise was um, the Andrishak Non, non-submission really. It was a bit of a bad call from uh, British referee Leon Roberts. So in terms of the ugly, moving on to um, what I think you're going to touch on. What, yeah. was the, what was the ugly aspect? So if anyone doesn't know, there was a bit of a, bit of a scene at the weigh-ins. Um, what happened was a lot of people... So the thing with weigh-ins is a non-ticketed event. So anybody can turn up, they can come in and have a uh, watch what's going on really. Um, so, some people got in. If anybody doesn't know, in, in Gdansk, there's quite a big rivalry between two local football teams. And apparently, there's all, all the time there's issues with big fights where really it's quite serious and quite a large number of police forces have to come in 
to try and sort it all out. Um, so basically, uh, Christian um, Kazaboski, the guy who was fighting Roberto Soldic to the title in the evening's co-main event, he supports one of those local teams, Ingedansk, and it was uh, supporters of the other team which showed up to the weigh-ins and started throwing things, being quite abusive. Um, so that was the thing which kicked everything off, okay? So I think it's really, really important to stress, I know that there's some reports about there that it was aimed at Casey. It's really, really important to stress that from what I've been told and from what I've heard, um, any kind of race, ra- racist ten- ra- um, tension to a race or any kind of racism wasn't the trigger um, to that thing, to how things kicked off. But it's hard to say whether or not that might not have come into it once it kicked off, if you know what I mean. Does that, that make sense? It makes a lot of sense because then that would kind of tie in with what uh, Mark Diacasey told me in that he yeah. felt that... Not that he was targeted, but he felt vulnerable as a black man yeah. amongst also, all yeah. of that Sorry kicking off. So I just direct, but I, was, I was told by, I wasn't at the weigh-in, so I can't, I've, I've had first-hand experience. But I, I had a friend who was at the weigh-ins and he said, apparently, um, I'm not quite sure what happened, but apparently some of us Ascom's people might have got caught up in the uh, on, in, in the whole situation. And obviously, Mark DeCasey's there as part of Ascom's team, so he may have got brought into it one, one way or the other. But apparently, I was told one person that was there that um, not, by no their own at all, um, Ascom's, some of Ascom's people may have just got involved in that slightly. Now, albeit that um, that actually occurred, what was yeah. really surprising about uh, the whole um, turning this into what could possibly be a race relations issue, what was surprising from my angle was that I'd never seen, from the time I'd been going to KSW events, I'd never seen any angle or any facet of racism. Given yeah. that, um, yeah. as I say, Mark was at the forefront and basically front and center. I could see really, considering it was his first time there, why he'd draw that conclusion, why he would feel threatened and why he would feel as though it was in part directed to him. Now, I don't know the exact details, but what I do know is that he did feel vulnerable. But I like the way in which KSW were very, very quick to deal with the matter in that as soon as it was raised online, myself being one of the people who were discussing it and basically um, looking into what had actually transpired, um, Alan Murphy in particular, I have to say, definitely uh, gets my ratings. He was very, very quick to get on the phone to me to say, look, Mike, you may have a different perspective once you see it from the other side. Basically, it's as you just described it in terms of it was football melee football hijinks that basically spilled out and involved people who could possibly in mark's case um feel as though they were part of the target group of their uh chance and their aggression yeah absolutely I mean, if you remember when the ufc were in uh, gdansk for the darren till uh, donald Cerrone card it was actually a heavyweight fight on the undercard that involved polish fighter adam uh, uh yeah and uh, if you remember, similarly, there was issues with the weigh-ins, again, caused by football tension between the teams in the area. And that fight ended up getting pulled from the card. The promotion, the UFC, didn't, risk, didn't want to risk having anything kick off during the show. Um, it's also worth mentioning as well, actually, whilst the show was going on on Saturday night, um, I was sitting next to a member of the Polish media, and he, told, he showed me a video, in fact, on his laptop. And there was a massive brawl during the show outside the arena between the two competing group football fans, and the riot police had to be called. So again, it shows that really it's got very little to do with KSW or KSW fans or or anything to do with race. The fact that yeah, the fact was that even during the show, 
big, what looked like a 40, 30, 50 man rule. We've gone outside, outside the arena at the time where the right piece had to be called as well. Also uh, worth mentioning as well, I think that, um, you, you know, I've, I've been out for many, many KSW shows. I've been out to most of them since KSW 30. And similarly, there have been black fighters who have travelled to Poland, um, Saladin Parnas, Johannik Bahati come to mind. And there's also had never been any any cases of anything like, abusive towards those two either, which I think is important to mention. And again, you know, being um, part of the media in previous events, I can contest to that. I can, I can, I can actually back that up in that I've never experienced any racism in any way, shape or form. So I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm pleased, as I say, in the way that KSW were swift to actually um, give a different perspective. Um, yeah. it's, just, it's just sad that, you know, Mark in, um, well, leaving Poland, I think one of his parting words uh, was that he was never coming back. Yeah, that's, yeah, really, yeah, a bit of a horrible situation for him, really. Um, but yeah, as I say, I think it's really important to stress that racism wasn't the trigger. It just, um, it's just an unfortunate something which come out of a situation, which is also with football and rivalry in the day. One more thing to note as well that um, a lot of people were taken by surprise. It was promoted at the, at the event. It was promoted that Michal Matella and Scott Askin would be the main event, and it was changed at the last minute. If you remember, they ended up being the co-main event. That's right. Against Christian Kazabowski was promoted to the main card, uh, to the main event. Yeah. And that, the whole reason behind that, I was told, Alan Murphy told me after the show that um, they were so concerned that Christian Kazabowski's rivaling football fans would somehow get into the arena. They thought if they kept that fight as co-main event and something did kick off, it would then be hard to come back for the main event and sell everything down. So that's why they made the change. Roberto sold it, versus Christian Kazabowski was promoted to the main event so that if anything was to happen, if things were to kick off, that would be the end of the show. They could pack it all up and go. So that was the reason why the main event and the co-main event that were originally scheduled was switched around. And that's important to factor in because a lot of people, I have to say, um, were pointing at KSW to say, you know, what are they actually going to do? Um, what are they going to, uh, what safeguards are they going to put in place? So I'm pleased yeah. again that they were very swift to act and they were very swift to basically yeah. make sure that, you know, people, not just their event, but people were safeguarded as well. Absolutely, yeah. And when I was walking around backstage, there was quite a, there was, there was, a, there was, a, there was a, uh, lots of people, but there, there were a notable number in, in, the, in the camouflage suits. The, you could tell they were, they were pretty high up in the police. So there were people there in the arena just as, as, a, as a really big precaution, really. Scott, I have to say it's been a pleasure having you on the WOCast. We are definitely going to be doing this again in the coming weeks for yeah, yeah. other events. And um, all that really remains for me to say, man, keep up all the hard work. It's a pleasure to welcome to the world cast Scott Askham. Scott, the champ Askham, I must say, congratulations, my man. <laughs> Thank you. What a moment, yeah. It was a great fight. I'm the champion. I mean, Scott, if I can just take you back ever so slightly. When you left the UFC, it would seem yeah. like, um, well, a fire was actually lit under you because you are four fights unbeaten. And it would seem that there is a certain venom 
in the way that you have pursued your fights, in particular when you've been in KSW. Am I not actually um, acknowledging this was how you were in the UFC or is this like a new invigorated Scott Askham? Yeah, it's... Um, God, the truth is I've been focusing so much on my striking. Uh, I, I, obviously, I work on, on my old game. Um, but I've, I've been working mainly on my striking. I, I realise that I'm a striker. I focus on my striking. And um, I think Luke Bynett did like that fight underneath my belly. Which was where, um, he was my first fight leaving the UFC. And uh, there was a lot of trash talking. And then... Uh, the momentum just carried on. Uh, obviously, that belief and that that confidence just continues to grow with each fight. And uh, here we are with four fights in on, on, on a, a four-fight win streak with three finishes. Uh, it's hard not to be confident. You know what I mean, especially the way the fights have gone. Uh, I, I, I feel a new fire. I feel I feel a different level. That uh, honestly, I feel I feel like I'm ticking all the all the boxes. Yeah. This decision didn't go my way in the UFC. I lost the decisions. Um, in the past, I, I'm like, um, one door closes, another opens, and here we are. And it's a massive door that's actually open because. It really is. Yeah, for- it really is. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy at KSW. Um, obviously, the, the results are going amazing, but the, the, the way the show is, the way. And you know, in terms of a promotion, as I say, you've landed on your feet here because for me, I really do believe that KSW is the leader, it's the European leader when it comes to mixed martial arts. I'd have it down as the best European promotion. Yeah, 100%. It's the best promotion I've fought, and, it's, and I've fought in the biggest promotion in the world. There. Um, KSW events. People, God to be honest, truth, I, th- I think when you say this, some people just think that you're saying it because you're for the promotion. Uh, I think we, we need to more people to view a KSW event or come to a live event because the, the production and the way they handle things is amazing, honestly. It's like, it's like being at a show when you go to a KSW event. Um, the events are amazing. The, the, every fight... Um, on Saturday, uh, I, I asked. I, I I didn't see any of uh, any of the fights, but I said to one of the reporters, I said, "Sure, they've got knockout and, and, and fight of the night. Uh, that that was some fight and some knockout." And they, they all agreed me agreed with me on the knockout. Uh, but I said there were a few that could be fight of the night contenders. So I didn't watch it, but uh, obviously to prepare myself. But people are missing out not seeing these shows. Uh, I, I promise you that the the great shows. And, you know, long term, though, what is the plan for you? Because, you know, you've been on the, well, the largest stage in terms of mixed martial arts on the planet. Is the goal or was the goal always to get back there? No, no, no. As soon as I left the UFC, like I said, that, that door closed. I was never to get back there. Um, this is prize fighting. I, I always say this is prize fighting. It's, it's about earning as much money as you can and, and then retiring. Uh, it's actually my birthday today. I'm 31 years old. Um, I want to be done by the time I'm 38. Uh, I think 38 is a good good age to be done. Um, I think it's an healthy age. I think most fighters around my weight that go past that just 
push the luck a bit too much and uh, and I don't want to do that. I think so. So realistically, I've got seven seven more years in fighting and I'll be done. So it's it's about making the money. It's not about what the promotion is. Uh, obviously, I'm KSW champion now. If I ended my career at KSW, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy. But like I say, it's, it's prize fighting. And just on you being champion, and happy birthday, by the way, I, I have to say that publicly because I obviously wished you happy birthday before we came on here early on social media, but happy birthday. Um, I, 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 I can think of no better birthday present than the belt, though. Now, am I wrong in thinking that perhaps this time um, I, I, I get the feeling that Matello was basically um, looking at what happened last time and trying to ensure, obviously, those kicks, and they were venomous kicks, didn't have the same kind of effect. But it did seem as though you, you wore him down. But am I right in thinking that he seemed a little bit more game this time? Yeah, I'm happy that the case to build fans uh, got to see more of a game because... Obviously, I've finished two fights since I came to me, both by liver kick. Yeah. So a lot of questions were about, are you going to do it again? And I said in every interview, the liver kicks are there. And I know, I know that they weren't their part of my game. Like, he can, he can know that I'm going to liver kick. It's, not, it's no secret. He's not going to stop them. Uh, like, like you say, he, had, he absorbed some good shots. I landed, I landed a couple of clean, good liver kicks. I, did, I, I didn't get the finish this time, but I still landed them. Uh, but overall, the, the the fans got to see more of the game, got to see what I'm about uh, on the floor, standing, everything. They got to see me all game. They got to see my character as well. So uh, I'm happy that they got to see that. Yeah, you're right. It, it was uh, a, a a masterclass in terms of. Um, how you handled him on the ground. I mean, your rubber guard looked vicious, ferocious. I mean, I don't know, to be honest with you, how he, he came out of that and didn't manage to tap. Yeah, I, I, never, I never actually had him in, 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 in any submission. Uh, but he, he, handled, he handled his, his groundwork well as well uh, in, 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 in a defensive uh, perspective. Uh, I felt I felt in attacking perspective in control. I controlled the fight, uh, even though I won my back. Again, like to an experienced grappler, I was in control there. Uh, but top position scores so high in MMA uh, for whatever reason. I, I I'd love to see the ground strikes statistics. Um, I, I would imagine I outstruck him on the ground as well uh, with, with the elbows. I landed I, I landed good strikes. Well, yeah, he, he, he was clever and, and, and savvy and, and avoided the submissions, but he, he, he always went danger, though. I, I, I had a few different setups. Uh, I've been working my whole game. I, I said this in interviews before the fight as well. Uh, I, I will beat Mikel Vitello because I'm a better, better fighter. Not because a lot of us saying it was a look with a liver kick. Uh, and I think I, I think I got to prove that on Saturday night. And I also said that I was better than him everywhere, and I, I feel I feel like I got to prove that as well. Um, I'm, I'm, I feel I've got underrated ground game. Not many people see see my ground game, but whenever they do see it, it's a very attacking ground game. Whether, whether that's to stand or whether, or whether that's to, to, to you know, um, but yeah, 
looking back on it, maybe I should have tried to scramble to my feet a little bit more, just just so I didn't lose the round. But I, I felt in control, even 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 if I lost that round, I felt in control, and I, and I, made, I made him work a lot. I made I made him push his gas, and it it, it, it all but the game plan went well. I mean, just finally in closing. Their biggest card, supposedly, to date is, uh, well, one of their biggest cards. I think still think Colosseum was their biggest card to date, but they build this as one of their biggest cards um, to date. Um, KSW 50 takes place in September um, at Wembley Arena. Now, you're obviously in play for that. Are there any opponents that you've heard, um, you know, being uh, lined up? Because I personally would love to see Kalidov come back riding on a, a, a steed, a horse, into um, Wembley Arena to fight you. I mean, are there any plans to bring back um, to bring back Kalidov to fight you? As far as I'm aware, no. Uh, as far as I'm aware, he's still, he's still retired there. But I think that, that fight alone has got to see, uh, the, the way the fight went Saturday has got to see you out of retirement. Uh, He's undefeated in middleweight, and he, he he was the champion before he retired. There, uh, I can only fight who's in front of me, but that's the fight. I'd I'd love to fight Kalidov, especially in Wembley. That'd be that'd be great. But if I if I was being totally honest, uh, I'd love to fight Kalidov in in the in the Warsaw Arena, uh, whether that's whether that's later next next year or, or I don't know. Whether I have one more in Wembley, then fight that. I don't know. But these are all things for us to sit down and discuss. Uh, find out what's happening there for now I'm just enjoying the win but yeah that, that, that'll be a dream fight were you dropping an exclusive on us there uh, Scott because um, Coliseum 2 is way overdue I have to say having um, yeah. having been at the first listen, one listen I, I only get the rumours myself you know what I mean like I, I, just, I just read what I see uh, I haven't heard anything about that but I would imagine Kalioff versus Askham needs a big arena so I'm just I'm just saying that that would be my dream. In the interim, though, whilst we wait for um, Askin versus Kalidov at Coliseum 2, thanks for the little exclusive there. I know what you did there. I, I see how you're dropping that, the breadcrumbs. <laughs> you're so media savvy. Now, yeah. I, I, I put it to you then, who would you think is more likely um, to be facing you when you uh, come over to Wembley? Um, that's a good question there. I've heard Drukas is making some noise. Um, just now, I've had a message off one of my friends saying Drukas is saying some things online. Like, I haven't seen anything myself yet. Uh, obviously, he was a former welterweight champion, but he's on a loss. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know where that goes. Then you've got uh, Illich. I don't know his first name. Illich. He got the the knockout against um, Yanakovsky. So. But that was again that was a fight that I were losing. So I, I I did say this to me to me to me manager before. Um, if beat the trailer and, and then see, see who's next, uh, I, I'll, I'll fight either of them guys. Those rumours of them two fighting each other, but obviously there's, there's not no space for that way we went blazing coming coming up. So let, I, I'll just let them them decide. I'll, I'll fight anyone. That, I said again. I said this before the fight. Uh, a champion fights anyone, anywhere, any place. So I'm ready to go. Incredible. 
Again, Scott, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. And um, I really just wanted to congratulate you once more because, you know, it's not every day that you have a champion in KSW that's from these shores, that's from the UK. And OK, we've got Phil DeFries there, but we now have a champion in you. And that's an incredible, incredible sight to see. Thank you. Obviously, it will be goal to, to become champion when I, when I signed to KSW. Uh, it, was, it was a big goal of mine, but to, uh, to actually achieve it and, and be now KSW champion, it's amazing. Uh, it's, a, it's a great promotion to, to be a part of and to, to be their world champion. It's, I, can't, I can't even put it into words just yet. I, I, I'll, be, I, I'll be releasing posts on social media all this week, just how I'm feeling stuff and Trying to trying to get stuff across a little bit better. I mean, I think I think while I'm trying to say it now, I can't I can't get it across properly if I sit down and just take the time and think about how, how I want to word it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a good feeling. Incredible. Am I right in thinking that? Um, I don't know. I get the impression, but I I personally feel there should be more noise, more traction around this win. And have you done many interviews following that with any with any media outlets of note? Um, I do, I do agree with that. Like, uh, I, do, I feel like the the MMA media in in UK is just a lot more UFC. I feel, I feel, I felt this coming up, in, uh, coming up to the fight and, and since the fight. Um, but yeah, it's going to keep me. Uh, I'll, I'll make my, I'll make my own noise. I'm not worried about that. Like, like, like I say, I'll just, I'll just keep winning. It. People need to realise that the, the, the obviously the UFC is the biggest brand, but they're fighting outside the UFC. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, I'll only do things that I can control. I can't control that, so I'll, I'll just keep doing me. Valor Money is who we're sponsored with, and it's key personnel. It's key person, man in charge. Joins me next, Nathan Grayson. It's me, bitch. Right now, couldn't give free shit. I'ma go ham like E6. I'ma go ham like leave it. Wait, 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 wait. On a grease tip. You ain't for real, you'll need clips. Stop giving that body blows each rib. I'm with three chicks. Let me see tits. Wait, 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 wait. Anyway, anyway. Yeah, I do this every day. Now, Nathan, I have to say, the last time you were on, um, suffice to say that a few people actually tuned in to what you had to say. Now, we've actually moved on a peg. You're now signed to Bellator. I wouldn't mind actually kind of like segueing back to where we were when we last spoke. And that was basically along the lines of you telling us what actually transpired um, when you actually were spending time at Her Majesty's Pleasure. But what I've heard a lot of the time is a lot of the story leading up to that. And indeed, in the last interview, we actually focused on what led up to that and exactly what transpired after you came out. But a lot, I have to say, could be filled in what happened in between. So over to you. Now, the first question I've got on my mind, when you were actually led to the gates, I take it, you know, it was one of those institutions where you're processed and then, well, you, you pick up the story. What actually happened as you were actually led to the gates, I'm trying to say like which 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 is more nervous out of walking out to a fight or going there. It's probably still prison, you know. So you can imagine like um, what I'm what 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 I'm built for if like going going into the, going into the going to into a cage fight or an MMA fight because it's it's like. As soon as you walk in there, basically like a prison guard will just look at you and just be like, 
don't worry it's gonna build it builds character so hearing them thoughts you're like you're just thinking i mean i'm in belmarsh prison uh that's an acat these times and it's just like you're just thinking what do you mean this is building character and you get in there and you see why man you're in there with lifers and murderers and like like real fucking hardcore criminals career criminals and stuff so um yeah leading up to it it's just just probably nerve-wracking i guess so obviously they lead you through the gates and you're you're actually processed now this this whole process um of actually being um well allocated a wing how do they decide where you should actually be and what cell you're actually going to be um well who you're going to actually be cohabiting with how do they make that decision I don't think they do, you know. I think they just put you maybe by your charge. I got, I got, I got a feeling maybe by your charge they might um, put you on a certain wing because obviously they put a vulnerable people on a on a separate wing. So I guess if your charge is like, like in a certain category where you're open to the public, like you're an open population public, um, then it's just like I don't think they do. They don't. I think you're just going in there with anyone. One of the things I have to say, I think I mentioned in the previous podcast that one of my nephews, he actually spent time in Felton. Now, one of the things which he said to me, the first thing that people ask you is, what are you in for? Was that the same sort of like uh, experience that you had? People kind of like feeling you out from why you were actually locked up. It's kind of like um, a pecking order. Mm, Maybe, yeah. It depends on maybe like the age group also as well, like. I think um, Felton was a young offenders, and um, That's definitely right. back then, yeah, definitely back in the young offenders. It's probably just um, just on site, um, but I think like in a in the in the different ones, Belmarsh and those ones, it's just more. Um, you don't really get like the young ones in there. The young, the young, the youngins in there. They still kind of try. They try, but the time when I was in there, do you know what? I don't know. They just. I don't know. It's just they would they were just cool. Never never really got never really not once got asked anything like that. But um uh yeah, but that stuff definitely goes on. I definitely saw that stuff happen, man. It still goes on. Okay, you know when you were just talking there just a while ago and you were saying, Yeah, a few things went on. What exactly does that mean? It, I mean, as soon as you went in there, you I, I take it had people who you knew in there so does that mean that you were kind of like protected status yeah yeah he's spoken he, he, he's, 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 he's all good man he's all good they were vouching for you or was it a case of that you had to kind of like in a way assert yourself mm, no you know what I did know people in there when I was when I went so uh, that pretty much it, it probably pretty pretty much went like that um, but yeah, it, it yeah, like it, it, it goes on, it, like it, it happens, and it? it's basically what you've heard of prison is probably pretty much what goes on in prison. So, um, yeah, that stuff was happening. It probably still happens now. It's prison, isn't it? Like, what do, you, what I don't know. Like, what do you expect from prison? That's what's gonna happen, man. It's not a nice place. Well, I'm not so sure. I, I mean, I have to say, of the times that I visited my nephew, he was telling me about the fact that he had a PlayStation in his in his cell, yeah. and he had um, he had his own TV. 
<laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, but hold on a minute. You are to supposed to be learning a lesson. This isn't supposed to be a reward. But yeah, he was he telling me about PlayStation. He is learning a lesson. He's away from the things that, like, what's the TV? I don't even watch TV out here. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't even watch TV out here. All I've done in there was read books. And that's what I'm still doing out here. But what's the TV? Like, TV, like, they give you everything that they want they want to give you in it pretty much let's just put it that way but he's, he is living he is he is he's, his freedom's gone in it so well it was but freedom once you go inside them gates like your freedom's gone so you gotta um, you gotta look at it that way also man so you're inside now i mean when does the self-reflection kick in is it as soon as you get to the gates, that's a wake-up call? Or is it basically after a series of run-ins? I mean, what is it that actually shaped your mind to set to say, you know what, I'm not coming back here again? Uh, it's all of it, man. It's all of it. Like, just because just because they get, like, PlayStations and shit, don't mean that they're, like, it's, your mind's at peace, you know what I'm saying? So... You go in there, you're getting, I don't know, like prison officers might, like, I'm not saying they, they might mentally torment you, though, you know what I'm saying? Like, things like that, they might not physically be able to do it because they're all, like, 21-year-old fucking ex-Toys R Us workers or something nowadays. Um, but they got their ways, in it? So, yeah, like, it's just... Uh, it's, it's probably like and f- before you get in there obviously probably when as soon as you do the crime and then you get nicked you're like fuck I regret it straight away but when it as it goes on I don't know some people might go through um, certain things like situations in there where I don't know they might have a visit from their family or something and that might like, that might light the switch for them to uh, to feel like I know I can't do this no more. Some people might have to get their ass kicked or something. Like people dying there and things. You know what I'm saying? So um, it might it might be something like that which might change their mind about doing a crime again. But it, 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 each everyone's different. But it's definitely a place where it will build character. And that 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 prison officer was right. I mean, one of the things which you see in Um, films at least I have to say my nephew didn't tell me anything like this and albeit you know as you say look it was a young offenders institution it was Feltham he was in he basically was saying that there is a lot of bullying that goes on there and then it's people kind of like are either trying to exert themselves because they're not confident in themselves but they're succeeding because they're coming across very aggressive or it's people who are basically trying to maintain their position by basically um intimidation i mean what did you find of the the actual circumstances that you found yourself in was there sort of that air of intimidation about it as well um, not really like as again like in belmarsh this more like i think it's bound down to an age group thing because that's that 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 intimidation stuff might come with like the younger age group with the gangs and stuff so um maybe like that might be a gang thing um, where people are doing stuff like that, but I, don't, I wouldn't know anything about that. I was in I was in Belmarsh where like these people were doing life for like 
35 years plus doing life so they're not really trying to cause confrontation what are they going to do do you know what i'm saying they're just they're just trying to get along get get it on and get uh get on with it and probably try and go home so in getting along with it and trying to go home i, I take it that obviously you were a model prisoner and i'm just curious though what day-to-day life in prison was like for you okay you wake up at what time and what happens from the time that you open your eyes i think it's probably like i don't even remember but it's pretty early you wake up you do exercise um just have breakfast you might go to work you might go to like an education um it's pretty much just a routine like it builds character in it it's like army camp sort of thing it's just like it's a system in it so it's, it's there in place it's, it's there to do its job in it and i think it could like does it work for everyone no but for me personally two years later i became a world champ and now i'm in bellator like from probably from from this routine so it was a blessing in disguise for me going there um, I got I got really in tune with myself being in there, and then it was just like some people don't use it as that in it. I I did in it. I, I benefited from it, but some people just probably involved in gangs and stuff. I just I, some people just um, like I said, some people just learn their lesson and get on with it and want to get home. So, I mean, just on those lessons that you learned, were there any lessons that you picked up inside? Because Okay, that's that's part one of the question, but I wouldn't mind yeah. circling back ever so slightly because, again, what I've heard a lot of the time is a lot of people, they go in there and basically it's a way of sharpening your craft, learning more skills of how to be more devious, but also how to be more elusive. Now, it's kind of um, counterintuitive listening to advice of a person who is inside. Um, it would make... A person thinks surely well how come you got captured again but would you say that's part and parcel would you say that's a feature of prison life and that is people trying to impart lessons to people inside there of how they can be more crafty with their their trade it's kind of like i don't know it's like are you going to want to take advice from someone who's sitting there with you they both you got they got caught also so it's kind of one of them ones, isn't it? So I don't know. Like it kind of makes sense what you're saying. I've heard that stuff before, but for me, the way I look at it is, I'm, am I going to be taking advice from someone who is either sitting down or or beneath me? Also, do you know what I mean? Like in in in, in, in situations um, or circumstances, it's like I'm not going to really take your advice. So, but I guess that stuff probably. It, could, it could be true, in it, but the people that's doing that stuff, I don't, I, I don't really. They're not even in my, in, 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 in my, in my, in my, in my realm. Man, so. so finally, I mean, just on the whole prison experience, would, what would you say in terms of you're in 2019 now? You must look back on that experience and think of one single episode in there that makes you think. Whoa, how did I get through that? Fucking hell, there is. I can't even talk about that though. 
that's kind of peak to talk about that one there. It's, 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 but it, they definitely happen. They definitely happen. Man. Um, and I kind of think that's like part of like my motivation, like of um, like why I can't stop in it, why I can't stop, why I won't ever stop. Um, freedom ain't free in it. I got it tattooed on me, like. You just gotta just, you just gotta just, I don't know. Oh man, I think everyone has that inside of them. The way I look at things now, everyone has that inside of them, but it's just down to that person. If he really wants to go there, you have to kind of go to that dark place, that 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 dark place where no one's willing to go, man, to, to get out of that situation. And um, I've done it, and I think, and I think, I think, I think, I truly think I'm unstoppable, like, I might take a lesson or something, but it's never really a loss to me or something because where I've been, I know some people don't come back, so that's what keeps that. That's what keeps me keeps me going. And, 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 and the sky, not even the sky. Like it's, it's, I don't even know. There ain't no limits. There ain't no ceilings for me, man. So, but I think everyone has that in them. It's just. It's just, it's just if you're, if you're willing to go there to, to, to find out. So I suppose, you know what, that neatly segues into the situation which you find yourself in now. You're coming off the back of a loss. Now, I have to say, myself included, a lot of people looked at Cal Eleanor as, you know, sort of a tune-up fight for you. Basically, uh, an, an, a, an easy win that you would definitely come out on top of. Now... Just when you look at what you've been through in terms of the whole coming through the prison system and what you've gone through in terms of the preparation for the fight and taking a loss, how much of that, um, kind of like, going back to what you were saying about being unstoppable, how much of that makes you second-guess that? Mm. Like, if I was, like... I don't know, like not really, not not much. It definitely does. Like if I was to say it don't, then it then then that would be that would be a that'd be a lie. But it, it it did at one point. Like not not made me second guess it, but it's just like a little slight question kind of thing. Like how did that happen? But obviously we know what happened. My team knows how like what what happened. It's little. It's it's things that. Um, I couldn't let the show. I didn't want to let the show down as being giving me this opportunity, um, pay me violent money. Um, they know I come to perform. Um, I, I put my intercostal rib three weeks before. I took a week off. Um, like I said, I'm 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 providing for my family, so I t- I couldn't pull. Um, I gave it my all, like as everyone can see. Like I think I even nearly put Kyle out, like. And he come back. I'm not sure, but it was like a it was a crazy round. I think I keep thinking that I'm like not 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 getting taken taken seriously. But I'm, I'm going to give a reminder on June 22nd in Wembley, though. Believe that. Which kind of like neatly segues into um, Franz Malambo. Now I have to say, a lot of people put a lot of store by the fact that Franz Malambo 
is Conor McGregor's um, sparring partner. He's coming from a prestigious gym, SBG. How much of that do you take into consideration? How much of that do you take seriously? And how much of that does actually play on your mind in preparing for France? Right. How much can how much how much how much can you take that seriously? Though? How how much can you take that seriously? Who 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 he's sparred with Conor McGregor? Who else? Well, the main person that a lot of people do reference is Conor McGregor in terms of picking up skills, in terms of footwork, in terms of techniques, in terms of sparring and rounds. Um, that is quite a formidable sparring partner. Hence the reason for the question, because a lot of people are put in a lot of store by the fact that he is Conor McGregor's sparring partner. Maybe overselling it, considering when you look at his recent record, but also the fact that he's coming from SBG. So you kind of like got double trouble there. A lot of people look at Kavanaugh. That's what I'm saying, but I'm like, how, how, where? Because we got to think about it. Who, who, else is, who else is really doing anything from that gym? Everyone, everyone from that gym, not everyone from that gym, but the, the lightweights in there, there's who? There's Strabinal, there's Blaine, there's Franz. Who else is there? And you got to look at it, yeah. There ain't no friends in this game. Bro. There ain't no friends in there. We all want to be number one. So... I'm going to set a reminder on June 22nd. The lessons that you've learned, which I take it that you have learned some lessons from the loss which you yeah, yeah, took yeah. from Cal Eleanor, are you taking those lessons into the, the fight with Franz Malambro? Uh, definitely. Like, I don't really... I've like, It's always... It's always it's, I'm always going for the finish, isn't it? So... Um, I'm just, I'm just gonna just be a bit more aware of people don't want to stand with me now, um, and I'm just gonna just, I'm, I'm just gonna take no prisoners in this one. I mean, speaking of taking no prisoners, um, your stablemate Dominic Wooding hasn't been taking any prisoners in calling for James Gallagher, the strip animal. Well, one of the things which I have heard past your lips is not looking past. Franz Malambo, but he is actually featured in the conversation. How much of that are you still hungry for? I know you are obviously focused right now on Franz Malambo, but how much of that are you still up for James Gallagher as one of the people on your hit list? Mm, I don't really, I don't know. Like, it's still, it's... If, like, if Dom wants, if if Dom's gonna get the fight, then Dom's gonna smoke him. If I get the fight, I'm going to smoke whoever they put in front of me. And that's the plan right now, isn't it? So it's the violent money tour, isn't it? So we can just take... I don't I don't really mind. I don't really mind. Like, it is where it is at the moment. I've just kind of just... I feel like... I just feel like I need to set reminders, isn't it? So I don't... I don't, I don't I'm probably... You can call it a sore loser or what, but... I, I'm just on. I'm just on trying to set reminders. So yeah, just give me them all, man. Just feed them all to me, man. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I'm kind of intrigued about and want your take on. You obviously are based in South London, right? Yeah. 
Now, it's not just a South London phenomenon, it's throughout London. The spate of knife crime is getting horrendously out of control. I mean, it's almost on a week-to-week, almost day-to-day basis, we're hearing of someone getting stabbed or injured because of violence on the street. Now, having, you know, spent a bit of time amongst that sort of lifestyle, what would you say is actually feeding this? What's actually making this almost spiral out of control? Um... I don't know, like, they're just, they're like, I don't know, there's no more, there ain't no more libraries no more, like, there ain't no more youth centres, it's just, it's just how it is, isn't it, like, it's just how it is, really, isn't it, like, it's not really a secret or anything, like, people always ask these questions, like, what's going on with the kids in South London, London and all this stuff, but it's, it's, why don't you open your, like, it's, it's there, it's, everything's there, open your eyes, you can see it, it's, it's just like, what you meant? What, 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 what do you want them to do? Like they're out, they're out, they're out in the street. They leave home. They leave home. They go to school. They, they, they're still out from between from school and home. They're still out. So, like, what do you want them to do? It's the streets got them out, isn't it? Like, it's, it is what it is. Like, it, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's not really. Does it really change? Like. It's just, it's just always been like this, isn't it? No? Oh, it's gonna be, yeah. Somewhere, from, somewhere, probably what I've seen, like, growing up until now. It's always been like, it's always been like that, so. Um, yeah, once the streets, it's just the streets, once the streets get you, it's just the streets. I don't really know, man. I don't think it's anything to do with um, anything else. What do you think it, it is? Personally, I think that when I put it this way, when I was growing up, there was more of a, well, we're all in this together. I don't know about you when you were going to school, but I was in the minority there. And when you saw another brother, another sister in the school, you kind of tended to stick together. You kind of, there was kind of like strength in numbers as it were, because I grew up in a time where racism was prevalent. Racism was the, the, the thing. So if we were all like, um, of kind of um, a clique as it were or more together as in you know we've, we've all got shared experience there was no need for conflict within our group now the way that I look at it is you're right there has been an erosion of things for um, kids to do there has been an erosion of amenities and facilities for um, young adults to have basically as they're kind of like outlet but having worked with young offenders I have to say a lot of the responsibility I think isn't being shouldered by the parents it's almost like they've given up so the streets basically are nurturing literally children there are 13 12 year olds out on the street up until 12 and 1 o'clock in the morning that was never the case when it was in my day you'd get a good backside in when you got back indoors. But now that we have ourselves in a situation where children, and they are children, have this kind of roaming mentality where they feel as though they can kind of come in and disrespect their parents, I personally feel that sort of um, 
free license for young adults is partly to blame. There's no guidance, there's no um, parents actually stepping in and kind of like saying, you know what, no, I'm getting involved, I'm not leaving you to the street. Now that's a very easy way of packaging up what could effectively be a solution. I'm not saying that's a solution, but I'm saying definitely the role of the parent has been eroded and the fact that they no longer take that responsibility is part of the problem. Mm. Yeah, suppose so. But it's kind of like, ain't the parent meant to be, that's, that, should, that should be like the number one thing on the parent's priority though, isn't it? Like not giving the, your child to the streets. So. so yeah. Unfortunately, we find that the babysitters, the childminders are the peers that these young adults are actually roaming the streets with. Which kind of like makes me think, you know, perhaps, you know, there might be some way of actually moving things forward. When you look at, you know, what's actually happening here, surely there might be some kind of government intervention that looks at this and thinks, you know, what we need to take this seriously. And I think until that happens, we're going to see this escalating to the point where, you know, more young adults, literally children, are going to lose their lives. Yeah, maybe, but it's like, has it, was children losing their lives when you was growing up? Yeah, but not in the numbers that we see now. Now, if the, if the statistics are to believe, or be believed, they say that there's lies, damn lies and statistics, but if the stats are to be believed, we are now in the most... Um, in, in the highest rate of stabbings, killings on our streets, particularly in London. Now, the way that I look at it is this, if the government are seeing this, if leaders are seeing this, if local councillors are seeing this, why is no one doing anything about it? And I think until, you know, steps are taken, and I'm not talking about piecemeal things like, you know, increasing stop and search. I think that's more of a siege police mentality, in my honest opinion. I just think that something needs to be done where it's no longer just lip service. It's no good Theresa May wringing her hands and saying, you know, woe is us, this is a catastrophe, then let's see what you are actually doing about it. I saw recently in, um, it was a picture of Downing Street decked out in green lights. Now, don't tell me that me as a taxpayer has actually contributed to that. I'd rather you spend my tax-paying money or tax-paying pounds on rectifying what's actually happening on our streets. Yeah, I, 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 I can understand that. I can understand that, but it's like back to it. What what's different? What's changed from back then till now? Like from 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 what I heard from growing up from 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 my dad's age group, which is probably yours. Growing up, it was all like it was all it was it was skinheads and stuff. Like it was normal stuff. It was like this stuff is just normal, like stuff that's just been going on in the streets for and. I don't think there's... I don't know. I don't really... I don't know. Like, I think it might be a balance. Like, it's, it depends because this stuff's always been going on, right? And But sometimes you can turn a blind eye to it and get on with your life and live a good, happy life. Like, you do it. You do it every day. So, it's. I think it's more of like a balance. Like, And also, with the amount of killings that's going on in statistics and all this stuff, I'm not really too sure 
if that's just true like you said but it's like whatever they put in the media and what we see is what we're gonna gonna believe so but there's one thing think, yeah I don't really kind of I don't really know about the, the, the killings and stuff too much if it's increasing dramatically like as people say I think it's just more it's like what's projected in, in our eyes and social media and shit We'll put it this way. Again, I'm going by statistics. And I mean, you, you just touched upon the fact there, what's changed or the point that you made there, what's changed. What's changed has been the erosion of the police force. We are now looking at, you know, uh, an austere time where police are basically overstretched, overworked and overburdened. And what seems to be happening more and more is that the government in particular are scapegoating the most ridiculous ideas um, or basically presenting ridiculous ideas as to why this is happening. Oh, it's grime music. What we need to do is outlaw grime music. Let's get grime music off YouTube. What utter rubbish. I I I think if they never had grime music growing up, they would be even worse. That's what I think so. I think grime music should be taken for what it is, and that is not an excuse for people to point fingers and say that's why we've got crime. Grime music, for me, represents a creative outlet. It's an art to me. It's an art. Like it's just, it's just people expressing expressing themselves. Like I, I know people that who who fake being nice all day long. They just they're really a dickhead. But it's like. Phew. It's not like do you know what I'm saying? They're just they, if if these kids are they're probably not even really like that the way they talk on on these tracks. It's just an art. It's expression. Like rock and roll had crazy lyrics. It's just it's just an art. No one would say nothing back then. Nothing ain't really changing, man. But you're right. But you know what I mean? It's just I, I do. But one of the things which is it does perplex me. Drill music in particular should be yeah. renamed Crime Stoppers because. You've got people out there who are effectively shopping themselves. Yeah, I'm going to run to your ops block. I'm going to draw a man down. And it's like, hold on a minute, bro. What yeah, are you yeah. doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that stuff. I agree with that. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, um, I don't condone none of that stuff, man. That, that stuff's a bit. But then again, it's an art, right? I think. I think it's an art. They could just be, make, they could be storytelling. They could just be making stuff up for storytelling, like. It's an art, so unless they really are, some people do, but some people, most of them don't. So, um, yeah, I can't think you can blame the rap music, man. I think it saves these kids, man. It's like I know, I know people personally who 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 it saved. So I wouldn't ever like. Art, so art, art, art is subjective. Some people don't like mixed martial arts. Some people, some people do. Well, I nicely. Uh, a nice little segue back to mixed martial arts. I'm glad it actually saved you. You're doing some real positive things right now. And, um, you know, one of which uh, we're happy to support here at Woe TV, at the Wocast, and that is Violent Money. I mean, just on that, just to close, as you are one of our glorious new sponsors, on Violent Money, what came first? Was it Violent Money as in your nickname or the brand idea? for Violet Money, the clothing company? Do you know what it is? came first? No, no, no. I think it was the name. Like, a name came first. My pal, like, he was, he's, he's, a, he's a good friend for years. And he was just like, listen, like, there's two things that um, 
people gonna 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 understand about you that you like violence you like monies and then we just we, we, we registered name um he registered the name that like he could he took control of everything and he's basically just um advised me since um since since the cage war is bullshit that's the whole that's the whole point of it um uh, from the phrase i said it on the last show right but if you're gonna if you want me to do violence you gotta pay me violent money so um yeah he just he just took that he's been advising me from then and um we're just we're just hitting every we're hitting every 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 um every plan every plan that we make we're just hitting them like on target on target um so he's he's, he's advising me well they they advising me well violent money they got they they i put them through to uh dominic wooden um He's actually like he's he's making some good 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 moves as well. Um, yeah, and they're just like they're like a they're like one to one personal like for the fighters. They get it and they understand like he was a he was a person that worked from a child who built his own business other than mixed martial arts and he's just using it as he he he, he was there like from like when I was inside also like supportive as well with my family and everything. So. Um, He's got my best interest, so where we can't wait to see what 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 else we can take over in this game. It's kind of like a, yeah, I would say like it's five fighters, four fighters because I'm involved. But the brand side of it is more like it's not really even selling T-shirts or anything like that. Like it's more um, it's more like the service. It's more like a motivation service, like a. Um, yeah, it's more like a motivational service because, like, in this sport, man, look what we go through. Like, I do, I do, like, without the training, I do, like, mate, I won't be surprised if I do, like, nearly 100 miles a, a, like, a week easy, like, just to train into the gym. I travel an hour journey there and back, there and back, different parts of, of, of London, Essex, do my strength and conditioning with Rick Farling, MTS. Then I travel down to um, KO to work with uh, my striking Wesley Meyer. Um, then I travel BJJ um, with Marcus Paul, and then I go to Titan, obviously in Tottenham. I have to travel like all over, man. So that's just that's just that's just part of like the motivation that people don't see, but fighters um, we all understand and we all know what we're going through because, like, let's be honest, the pay that we get. Sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, subsequent, like <laughs> for the amount of damage and the amount of stuff that our bodies go through, mentally and physically. So, um, I, I think I think this brand's gonna gonna be. Um, it's gonna be very important to the to the to the mixed martial arts industry. It sounds more, to be honest with you, just looking at it from the outside and just hearing you recount how it was actually born, it sounds more like a movement. It sounds like a social consciousness. It sounds like a kind of a battle cry of, take me seriously. Do you know what I mean? It's more like, it's just, it's just about like understanding and change, understanding or, or overstanding or just simply just changing your mindset to 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 achieve the greatness that you're destined. Like as I said, that was two years out of out of out of out of it. So um, I changed my mindset. Um, I, I stuck to the plan. 
um, and I'm and I'm achieving those goals constantly. Like Don Wooden's another one. Um, we got loads of people. We got Mike Mike Akindeu, like these 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 people here. Um, and we got some more ones. I think they they're apparently talking to to more ones. They want to branch out with some next ones. And um, but it's definitely like it's definitely a movement. I agree. Yeah, definitely. It's just they're not like. It's, it's, I don't want to. I can't. I don't really know much either. Too much either. I, um, I'm just more in my training, more. But it's definitely like um, it's going to be big. It's definitely going to be big. That about wraps up this episode of the new series of the Wokecast. Thank you for joining me. I'm hoping that you'll be joining me again next week and each and every week. We're going to make Wokecast Wednesdays a definite thing. Until next time, make some trouble. Oh,